My name is David Poyser, a journalist, and welcome to the 13th episode of PezPod, the insider's guide to the Pez network made for European Pez. Behavioural science. That might sound a bit scary. Believe me, it's not, or it won't be by the time you've listened to this episode. One Pez has been really successful in using behavioural science. For example, looking at why 32,000 job seekers persist in applying for jobs as an admin assistant when there's only 340 vacancies and there's other jobs they could do. How do they use behavioural science to change this? And how can we make governments be aware of this when they write the laws? Well, I'm with Anna Geit Kaiser in the Netherlands. She's a research fellow at the WRR, which is the Netherlands Scientific Council for Government Policy. The WR is an independent scientific advisory body that advises the Dutch government on long-term strategic issues. Hi, Anna Kate. Hello. I'm also with Mike Kaysman from the Dutch PES. Mike trained as a behavioural scientist, and now he works on implementing insights from the WRR, and he works at the Dutch PES doing this. And he also implements his own insights. Hi, Mike. Hi, everyone. Anna Kate. Can you just explain, just take as long as you like, the ideas you took to the Dutch PES? Well, starting point for our report was the realization that society today makes heavy demands on on people's self-reliance. So people must be on constant high alert in various crucial areas of their lives. For example, um, nowadays fewer and fewer people remain with one employer for years on end. So employees, but also self-employed people, they are expected to keep their own employability up to standard and to identify new opportunities and threats themselves. But we realize that not everyone is capable of such vigilance under every circumstance. So there's a difference between what people are expected to do and what they are actually capable of. And this is not just the case for a small group of vulnerable individuals who have trouble Uh, living up to such expectations. But even people with a good education or a favorable position in society, they can end up feeling overwhelmed, certainly when they are going through a a difficult patch. And that's not because they're not intelligent or knowledgeable enough, but because demands are being made on all sorts of other mental capacities, such as the capacity to take action, to remain calm, and to stick to their resolutions. That's really interesting, Anna Geit. Can you tell me about any recent research into the limits of human mental capacity? And again, just take as long as you like to explain it. So in the last decade, researchers have turned their attention to the limitations of uh, human mental capacity. But our report takes the next step in this fascinating line of research. Uh, The capacity to think is half of the story. After all, knowledge does not automatically lead to action. So our report focuses on what we call a person's capacity to act. And that's something we refer in daily life to as personality or character. Um, The capacity to act refers to non-cognitive capacities, such as setting goals, making plans, taking action, persisting and coping with temptations and setbacks. It's the capacity to put ambitions into action, even under challenging circumstances. Um, and I think, especially for policymakers, there are three things we have to uh, we can learn from the behavioral sciences. The first is that people 
differ in the degree to which they possess the capacity to think and to act. Some score are high, others score low, but most of us score around average. The second thing is that stress and mental burden put pressure on mental capacities. So life circumstances influence people's ability to apply their non-cognitive capacities. So in situations in which it is crucial for people to spring into action, for example, when they lose their job, um, then they need to take the right decision, persist, but their capacity to act is under pressure. Uh, the third thing is that we cannot expect too much of trainability of people's capacity to act. So that means that there can, there, there can be no easy, fast or inexpensive solutions. The reality is that differences in the capacity to act will remain. So what does this mean for policymakers or people working at public employment services? The first is that they should work from a more realistic perspective on what people can do. Uh, a realistic perspective allows for differences and limitations in individuals' agency. For example, when developing a new policy, policymakers should ask themselves what will happen to people who do not open their mail immediately or who do not immediately take action when necessary. And second, a realistic perspective accepts that wrong decisions or passivity are not necessarily a sign of unwillingness. They may indicate that someone feels powerless or overwhelmed. And to help professionals, and they also sometimes suffer from limited capacity to act, we developed a capacity to act test. And that sounds fancy, but that's just a list of simple questions that fits, fit onto one page and that help uh, policymakers or people working at a public employment service to deal with uh, people with limited capacity to act. So, Mike, I think we've all seen in places, haven't we, this idea of a limited capacity to act and people who won't open their mail immediately. Um, how have you managed to implement her report? How have you managed to put it into practice? Oh, first of all, I think the report was very well received. Um, it really provided a, a re an explanation to some of the behaviours we see among our job seekers, even if they have the, the long-term goals to find a job and the right information. Uh, we see that they don't always use it in the most straightforward way. Um, so sometimes we see that clients don't show up for an appointment with a counsellor. Uh, sometimes we ask them to fill out the questionnaire so we can prepare our meeting with them. We call this a work profiler and then they don't do it. Uh, and what you mentioned at the beginning uh, of this episode is that people don't always uh, search for the job that has the best job prospects. Um, and we, we noticed through our research um, that actually people sometimes forget to do it or uh, they didn't even see the questionnaire. And also that concerning what jobs they're looking for, it's not necessarily about they don't know there's other jobs, um, but they may be fearful. Can I even perform well in that job? Um, but also they invest, invest a lot of time and effort into becoming, like I'm a behavioral scientist. I really call myself, I am a behavioral scientist. I, it's my identity. To let that go, uh, that requires something of me. And we notice that we, when we change our services and our communication based on these behavioral scientific aspects, it's really helpful. It puts the human first, but it also becomes more effective. So through that- Is there that, any way you've been able to measure how it's helped, Michael? Yeah, we see that more people show up for appointments. We see that they're happier with the letters we send them. We see that they apply for jobs that have better hiring prospects. So we really see this in terms of effectiveness and appreciation of our work. Uh, we see increases. So, so we were really happy with this report, not just because it gave us this insight, but also it gave our organization a language to really talk about how can we use this behavioral science 
in our organization to improve our services. Yeah, it might, it, it might be interesting to explain how we came to the term capacity to act, um, because that's not an official scientific term. Um, before we publish a report, we have co conversations with many stakeholders. Um, to, we do that to get information, but also in a later stage to test our ideas. And I remember a conversation with two advisors from the prime minister. And at that stage, we still use the academic concept, non-cognitive capacities. And they were looking at us with these glassy eyes like, what are you what are you talking about <laughs> and they so the concept did not resonate and they kept connecting it to uh, literacy illiteracy or digital skills so we needed something that would make clear what the difference was with intelligence or with cognitive capacities so that's why we put uh, next to the capacity to think we put the capacity to act because we wanted to really to make it clear that it's not a, uh, enough that people understand what they need to do but also that they should be able to do it. It's amazing because we've all seen it, haven't we? And we've all done it. You know, there's emails which we don't open because we just can't get our head around them. It's a very normal part of human life, isn't it? I think it's very intuitive uh, for people when we talk about this phenomenon. Everyone always understands and can relate it to their own behavior. But then really the question is, how do you put this into practice? Um, and we've developed two ways to do this. Uh, one is uh, we developed a training. It takes about six weeks, I think. Um, and it's for our counselors who have contact with our clients. And we really teach them, what is this capacity to act? How can you recognize this? But also, when you recognize in someone, what do you do? So you want to offer assistance, make it simple, break actions down into small pieces. And it's really different than when someone lacks motivation, where you maybe want to apply enforcement measures. And we see that this training is very, uh, yeah, uh, very effective. People apply it into their client contact, but also it's very popular. 900 counselors have already enrolled. It's 900 out of how many? I, I dare not say. I think maybe 2,000 people. So it's nearly half have done it. And is that voluntary, Mike? Have they done it? It's voluntary. voluntary. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 So that's for counselors. But uh, we also try to implement it uh, when there's new legislation coming to the Dutch PES. Um, they ask us to uh, assess the impact on costs, on privacy concerns, on IT. Uh, but now also, thanks to this language that we received, uh, we, we explicitly made Capacity Act a consideration in this evaluation. So then based on ba this behavioral science and research with our clients, we actually assess the impact that legislation has uh, on our Dutch PES. So we can really take it into account from the start uh, at our organization. Uh, maybe an example that's not really from our Dutch pass, but our Dutch pass is involved. Um, it's because when designing and uh, our process and services, uh, we want to take into account the skills of our clients, but also capacity to act. But it's also in large part determined by how legislation is drawn up. Um, so um, people who for some reason do not receive a full state, full state pension, they can apply for a supplement to reach the minimum amount of income for an acceptable living standard. And it's actually estimated there's, yeah, I think maybe 20,000 people or 20,000 households uh, that could have applied for these additional benefits, but they haven't. So then if you think about this, um, it's actually kind of strange. You need the money because you do not have a minimum uh, sort of income for an acceptable living standard, um, but then you don't do it. And if we listen to Anna Geet about this realistic perspective and capacity to act, it actually makes sense. Just, just having the information available of how to apply for it is not enough. 
so then the next question is, how do we proceed? How do we help these people? I know there's similar stats to that all over Europe, aren't there? I think so, yeah. Of people not applying for benefits, they I should apply. So, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. Um, but actually, we have data in our PES, uh, and when we combine that with data from other organizations, it would be possible to identify who is the right to the supplement, and then it could also be proactively reached. Um, so in other words, if we would redesign our policies and laws, uh, we could actually make it so that people are approached by organizations and they need to go less of an administrative burden themselves. So it'd be easier for them to get the supplement they need um, and more people would get it, what they need. Um, but this requires a change in how we think when we draw policies and legislation. Um, so it's not only important to yeah, apply these insights in direct contact with our clients, but also before that at the ministry. Um, can you talk about some challenges and some of the ambitions you have for the future? I think we see two challenges. Um, one is that the capacity act remains a bit intangible. It's very different than a skill like reading or writing or even intelligence or motivation. Um, so we really don't want people to confuse this capacity act with not having any expectation for people. It's really not about not having expectations. You can have expectations. You should have expectations. But you should be really take into account that we sometimes put up barriers uh, that we need to take into account when designing legislation, procedures, uh, and what we ask from our uh, job seekers. Um, and it's especially important for the Dutch pests or other pests because people often come to us when they're in a distressing period, such as when they lost their job. And I think another challenge that I see uh, actually has to do with the ministry that comes off with the legislation. Um, because, well, actually, maybe, maybe, maybe you want to talk about this. Yeah, because um, I think we at the council are also very happy how the report is received. Eh? So both by the by the cabinet, but also by organizations such as the Dutch Pass. Um, and after five years now, we can conclude that the idea of the capacity to act has really become a part of the policy discourse. However, um, the Dutch Pass is an agency, and the, as an agency, it has to work with policies that are made at a higher level. And if we really want to improve, it's important that these policies that are developed um, that at a higher level are developed with a realistic perspective on what people can do. And also that public employment services are given the means necessary to work from a realistic perspective and take into account people's capacity to act. So that would be my wish for the future. And are the Dutch government listening to you? Well, I think they are. Uh, I mean, if... if um, if my council writes a report, then the government is obliged to uh, give a formal response in the form of a memorandum to parliament. Um, and in this official uh, response, they wrote that they will work with the capacity to act test and with the capacity to act. So I think they're really willing. But sometimes you see that between uh, the ambition and the realization, there are uh, well, there is also a lack of a capacity to act within government, <laughs> and I think that's why it's so interesting that the Dutch uh, public uh, employment service really took this concept and they improved it even. They took it a step further, which is really, uh, really impressive how they done that. And I think that's Mike and uh, the rest of his team have really done some great work there. Well. Mike, huge congratulations from us all and well done you. Um, what about you, Mike? Do you have any thoughts for how it might work for other PES? Or should I ask Anakait? No, I think uh, the other PES may have similar challenges or at least the job seekers of, of, of the different PES have similar challenges that the job seekers 
at our past half, they all need to gather information. They need to have an overview, set goals, make a plan. Uh, there may be setbacks. Um, and how do you deal with this? And then there's also some obligations that you need to adhere to, um, communications that you receive, information that you receive that you need to take into action. So I think these challenges that we have, the challenges that I talked about and the, the behavioral scientific interventions that I talked about, I think they would be really applicable also to the different pests uh, in Europe, for sure, yes. That's great. Well, look, thanks to you both. Thanks to Harakait and thanks to Mike. And um, well done, the Dutch pairs, for implementing the report so well that, you know, you've taken it a stage further. And if anybody's more interested in this, there's further background on what we heard today uh, in this episode on the show notes. In our next episode, we'll be talking about inclusion in the labour market, how to find jobs for people across the spectrum of diversity. I know it's a really big issue across the PES network. Tiris in Brussels has been really successful working on diversity plans with employers. So I'll be talking to Actiris about the experiences that they can share across the PES network. And for the first time on this podcast, we'll be talking to an employer a Belgian bank that's worked really well with Ecturis, getting jobs for a diverse range of job seekers. We're hoping on this podcast to build a sense of community amongst PES networks across Europe. So if you've got any comments on PES Pod, there's an email which I'll now spell for you. It's empl-pes-secretariat at ec.europa.eu. I'll just say it again, empl-pes-secretariat at ec.europa.eu. So who would you like us to interview? Just email us and tell us. And what would you like us to interview them about? Just email us and say. PESPOD is produced for the PES Network by the European Commission with technical support from Econ Institute. The technical producer is Mark Butter. Looking forward to next time. <laughs>